Good evening. So, my name is Tony, and uh, as you've heard, I'm from Bradford. The f- well done, yeah. The people don't normally acknowledge that whatsoever, you know, but um, the home of famous executioners, as we've yeah. heard tonight. So, um, I've been with the Association of Evangelists now for coming up two years this August, and uh, like all the other guys, involved in all kinds of evangelistic activities, but my main interest is um, trying to help Christians reach out to people in cults particularly the JWs and the Mormons, because they're the guys that we tend to meet. Uh, my heart for that came from the fact that when I was 21, um, I spent some time with the Jehovah's Witnesses, so that was just two years ago now. And um, it's, not, it's not funny. So um, I, spent, I spent a short time with them. I spent about four years with them, believing I had the truth. And, uh, and that's just remained with me, a heart for people um, lost in these groups. You know, we, uh, we know where to share the gospel with people, and we think particularly people who are uninformed, but I think, what about those guys who are misinformed? Those guys who've been searching for truth, maybe searching with Jesus, and then ended up in one of these groups. So I like to just share about how we might engage them rather than uh, pretend we're not in when they're knocking our doors. Great stuff. <laughs> like, none of these guys do that. No, no, of yeah, course. Obviously. Great, let's pray for you, Tony. Thank you. Father, we thank you so much for Tony. We thank you again for, for rescuing him. We thank you for giving him a real heart to reach out to those people um, in, stuck in cults who don't yet know Jesus. And we pray now that you'd bless him, that you'd use him powerfully, and you'd excite us about the great opportunities that we can have too to share Jesus with people, particularly tonight, um, from, Jehovah's, uh, from the Jehovah's Witnesses. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, quick survey to begin with. Hands up if you've ever had a Jehovah's Witness on your door. Wow. Hands up if you've ever had any Mormons on your door. Less, but a significant number. Hands up if you've ever had a Christian knock on your door. Oh, a couple of people. A couple of people. Yeah. <laughs> So it's interesting, isn't it, that um, we, we very much know that the Jehovah's Witnesses are zealous for their untruth. And um, tonight I, I want to share with you some tips, some ideas of how we might share truth with these, with these loved ones, um, these lost loved ones for whom Jesus died. Um, we can see them as a pain in the neck. We can see them as uh, someone who we don't want to engage with, someone we struggle with, people who don't listen, uh, but they're lost. And the Great Commission is for us to share the gospel with those who are lost. And and Jehovah's Witnesses are lost. Let me just share a few verses of scripture with you. This is from Romans 10. And just the first four verses. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking about his fellow Jews. But it's highly relevant for people caught in cults and tonight, particularly the Jehovah's Witnesses. Romans 10, 1-4 says this. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So tonight we're just going to very quickly look at... um, some things, because I know I've got to finish by 11. So, um, these are the things we're going to look at this evening. These, these four things. 
So we're going to think, first of all, about the life of a Jehovah's Witness. What does it mean to be a Jehovah's Witness? What does it look like for these guys? What, is, what does their life look like? And then we're going to look at three core beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. Three things that I think are really important for us to know and understand in order to share the gospel with them. Then we'll think about some issues when talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. So things we should say, things we shouldn't say. Uh, we commit mistakes talking to them, even if we feel we're doing it in a loving way. And then finally, just some tips on how to share truth with Jehovah's Witnesses. So I'm just going to share a little bit of that tonight. Um, as Roger's already mentioned, he's got some of these books uh, written by my wife's husband. Um, only one pound each. Uh, feel free to pick those up. I sell them for far more than that when I come along, but Roger sells them for a pound. So there, it's a deal tonight. Get a few of them. So the Jehovah's Witnesses. What I want to do is I want us to watch a little video clip. Hopefully I might have to press this because that doesn't seem to be working. Well, there you go. I need to turn it on. There you go. We're going to watch a little video clip of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Probably not let you watch all of it because it lasts a good few minutes. But it's one of their own uh, video clips. And then afterwards, I'm just going to ask you one or two questions about it. Okay, so see what you think of this video. The city is hosting a golf championship, and we are so excited to reach out to all of these international visitors. This was the first time in Charlotte that we had such a major sporting event. People would be coming from some 60 countries. A total of some 200,000 were expected. And so when the branch contacted us and said this was a special public witnessing initiative, we knew that we wanted to do our very best to reach as many of those people as possible. It was about advertising JW.org, Jehovah and the Kingdom. And so we were looking at what would give the greatest visibility to the cart and our effort. The branch office was very, very supportive. They gave us good direction. They put us in touch with brothers that had been involved in organizing a public witnessing initiative for another large sports event. And they provided us with so much insight from their experience. This was the first time that some five circuits, 75 congregations, multiple language groups got a chance to work on one project together. We ended up with 48 locations and some 1,400 publishers trained to man these locations. We were running shifts from 6 in the morning until 8 at night. Organization and scheduling was the key, and they did it beautifully. With public witnessing, individuals often come to us because they see our smiling faces. We try to maintain a friendly disposition, a happy one. We always try to make eye contact. And if it's morning, we greet them with a good morning. One sister said that she smiled people over to the cart. And that's really what a smile can do. They're looking for something to make them happy, to enjoy life, and you represent that just by smiling. When they see a topic that catches their attention, internally they're asking themselves these questions. If they really want to find the answers, they'll come over. You can see as cars pass by that they're taking note of our presence. And it's a witness of itself. 
We've had individuals stop their cars and wave us over to bring the literature to them. They might just turn briefly, but they'll see the cart. They'll see JW.org. We talk to people from all over. I think that's enough. Okay, so any observations from that little video clip? Pardon? They didn't mention Jesus, that's right. What did they mention more than anything? JW.org. Yeah, JW.org. We're here to tell people about JW.org, Jehovah and his kingdom, but it's JW.org, JW.org, JW.org. You see, for a Jehovah's Witness, Jesus isn't important at all, really. He's, he's just a bit part player in the great scheme of things when you're a Jehovah's Witness. But one of the things you found there is that they're extremely zealous. And um, that's multiplied all over the world. That was just one event, one golf event in their city, so they made this big effort to reach people. You see there, Houston, we have a problem you see, Jehovah's Witnesses are everywhere. They're on our street corners. They're outside our train stations. They're on our university campuses. They're knocking on our doors. They, they just seem to be everywhere. And uh, I want us to think about why that is tonight. Why, why is it that they're so zealous? What is it that drives them? What is it that, that makes them spend all that time in the open air? Can rain or shine, they're out and about. It doesn't put them off. And it always challenges me when I see them. You know, it's really sort of miserable day outside. And I'm thinking, oh, I just want to stay in bed. And I get up and go out in my car and I see these JWs knocking on doors. It, it just doesn't stop them. But why is that? The reality is that JWs are indeed everywhere. And uh, you can see the carts that they utilise. People have sent me pictures on the beach, on the doors. Uh, they're in Africa and all other countries. Rio Olympic Games there with all their carts. Uh, they've got Oxford Circus in London. Train stations, airports. They are literally everywhere. Now they're zealous for what they believe to be true for two reasons. One is that they believe it to be true. They actually believe, when they knock on your door, they believe they are sharing with you life-saving information. They, they really believe it. They're not lying to you. They're not like, oh, you know, well, let's just go and con someone today. They believe what they have is the truth. They call it the truth and they want to share that with you. But a secondary reason as well, which is again a great driver in their enthusiasm, is their need to please God, who they call Jehovah, because they have no assurance. So for them, it's all about putting in the work and the effort and the hours and pleasing the elders at the congregation and those above them in branch offices and sending in their timesheets. We're going to think about that in a moment in order to show themselves and prove themselves worthy. So Jehovah's Witnesses are extremely busy people. They're extremely active in many, many ways. Now, I don't know what you do when you see the Jehovah's Witnesses on your street or you see them walking down your path. If you do any of these things, I want to rebuke you in the name of Jesus. If you hide, if you open the door and say, get lost and slam the door in the face. If you say, I've got my own religion and then you, I don't want to talk to you, just go away. If you set the dog on them, if you pull a gun on them, or whatever it might be, if you're doing any of those things, that's wrong. It's wrong, wrong, wrong. You see, what we have when these guys are on our doorstep is a gospel opportunity. And you might not feel you're equipped to deal with them. You might have some theological sort of reason, which I'm happy to discuss with you afterwards if you want, to why you think you shouldn't engage with them. But the reality is, there's a gospel opportunity on your doorstep. And if you aren't going to tell them the truth, who is? 
Who is going to tell them? You know, I've come across countless um, ex-JWs, some who who are now Christians, and the thing that they say, a constant thing that they say is, I met loads of Christians when I was with the JWs, and none of them actually shared the gospel with me. In fact, they were nasty towards me. And then, especially if somebody's in the, in the Jehovah's Witnesses and they come out and find Christ, and they become a Christian, they're like, why didn't no one tell me? Why didn't no one share this with me? Now, it might be that some people do share with them, and they just, it just doesn't go in, because of the cult mindset. That might be the reality. But for them, they just don't feel that Christians are concerned about them. And they're not too concerned about us either. Because the moment you say you're a Christian, they don't want to engage with you as much as if you're just a normal householder with no beliefs. They don't really want to get into a fight, into an engaging discussion with you. All these guys guys there on the carts, they're smiling away and saying, a smile brought people to us. Most of the time, they're not even anywhere near their carts. They're over here drinking coffee and the cart's over there somewhere. And they're not smiling at anybody. They don't really want to talk to anybody. They don't want to talk, talk to anybody that's going to engage them in a Bible discussion, generally speaking. So I want us to think tonight about how can we get them to discuss things with us? How can we say things to them that will engage them? Let's think about the life of a Jehovah's Witness. Well, first of all, they, they go door to door. We know that. They believe that is in the Bible. And it does say in the book of Acts that the disciples went from door to door, from house to house. And so they believe that's a command, that they should do that. And so they go door to door. They call that publishing. They're publishing the good news. And they can spend many hours doing that. The new thing that's just come on board in the last however many years is the cart. That also counts as as publishing or witnessing. Now, I can remember when I was with the witnesses, a long time ago now, uh, but I'm sure it's the same today, you know, even in these witnesses' heads, which would you rather do? Go knock on people's doors and pester them or stand at a cart and drink a cup of coffee? I think I know, you see, just they, they don't like, many of them don't like knocking on doors either. It's hard work. If you've done door knocking as a Christian, it's hard work. It's hard work, first of all, because if you knock on anybody's door as a Christian, they automatically think you're a Jehovah's Witness anyway. So the first thing to say is, it's okay, I'm not a Jehovah's Witness. So maybe you're opening line. But they, but they go and do that. It's part of what they have to do. So, they're busy door knocking or on the carts. They have meetings during the week. On a Sunday, uh, they will meet for possibly two hours. And um, their, their meetings... Imagine this is a, a kingdom hall and you're Jehovah's Witnesses. I would have some uh, Watchtower publication here. I would read maybe the Watchtower magazine itself. I would read um, a, a short passage, and then there'd be someone alongside me who would ask, ask questions, and if you guys wanted to answer, you would put your hand up, because you know all of your Watchtowers there with you, and you look, and you just answer the question that I'm asking, and that's like for them, that's most of their meeting together. And it's reinforcing Watchtower theology. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they knock on people's doors, they say to householders, we'd like to offer you a free home Bible study. But you don't get a free home Bible study. If you invite them back for that free home Bible study, you will get a Watchtower book study. And through that book, you will be taught Watchtower theology. Even though it's full of Bible verses, and you think you're learning the Bible, but in reality, you're learning Watchtower theology. And for me, who had no Christian upbringing didn't know anything about the Bible, I thought I was learning the Bible. 
But I was learning Watchtower Theology. So on a Sunday, they'll have that meeting. During the week as well, they have a meeting. Again, it can last up to two hours long. They've just changed that somewhat. Um, but within that, again, it'll talk about how you can be a really good publisher, look, some, look at something from the Bible, and just encourage them in the work. And then throughout the week as well, maybe, you know, you've got to some houses and people have said, I'll have a Bible study with you. So you go to their house and there you are with your What Does the Bible Really Teach book rather than the Bible. And uh, you're, you're learning Watchtower Theology. So imagine all those things going on and you maybe meet with other Jehovah's Witnesses and associate with them during the week as well in some ways because you're not supposed to meet with worldly people. And then maybe if you've got a family or maybe you're working as well. It's a busy, busy life. Then throughout the year as well, they'll have uh, circuit assemblies. So these are like smaller gatherings of Jehovah's Witnesses in, in a locality. They'll gather together or you'll have bigger conventions uh, which they sometimes have in football grounds. And uh, again, a bigger area, all the witnesses will come together. It's there that they normally get given the new publications and new information about anything. But it's an incredibly busy life. And they don't have time, generally, to research things, to check things out. You know, they, they trust that what they're being told is true. They don't check it out for themselves. But we can tap into that a little bit as I'll share in a while. I don't know if anybody's seen this film that came out just recently called Apostasy. If you want more of an insight into the life of a Jehovah's Witness, you can watch this. It's on Sky Movies now, if you've got Sky. Um, but you can get it as well quite cheap on DVD. And this is a story of a Jehovah's Witness family and how the beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses break them apart. It was written and directed by a former Jehovah's Witness. So that's, that's a, an interesting watch as well for more of an insight into the life of a Jehovah's Witness. Now these guys um, that are out knocking on the doors and on the streets, they're all called publishers, but if you want to do a little bit more, you can be a pioneer. And there are three categories of pioneers. So they have what they call an auxiliary pioneer, which will do 30 to 50 hours per month, either knocking on the doors or standing on the carts, a combination of the two. A regular pioneer is 70 hours a month, and if you want to be a special pioneer, 130 hours per month. Now just think of all that time going into sort of preaching this falsehood. And um, they're extremely zealous. And what they do is they fill in, fill in timesheets and stuff like this. Now the one on the left at the top there was what it was like when I was with them. A field service report. And you would put the date in there. You'd put any books that you'd placed any discussions that you had, maybe whether you're going to return. Also like here, more, a more up-to-date one is a field service report there. Placements, printed electronic, video showings, hours, return visits. But they're also a lot more sort of uh, snazzy than that as well because now they've got apps for everything. So you look at the app there and you can uh, put in how many hours you've done, how many books you've placed, brochures, tracts, magazines, return visits, Bible studies, and you can just send in your hourly hours electronically because someone's going to look at how many hours you're putting in and if you're not putting in the hours that they think you should be you're not serving Jehovah like you should you'll be challenged by the elders in the kingdom hall and so you can see the pressure to, to perform is huge on these people and, uh, and so that's what drives them somewhat also this is what they talk about all the time jw.org now, when I was with the Witnesses many years ago, again, 
and I came out, if I wanted to get information about the Jehovah's Witnesses, I used to have to get Watchtower and Awake magazines physically. I used to ask family members and other people, when the JWs come, take the magazines and give them to me so I can see what they're teaching. But now it's all online. This is the most amazing website. It's got everything on there. So all the magazines, the booklets, teachings, video clips, everything is on there. And so all the time they're wanting to point people to JW.org. So if you get in a discussion with them on the carts, on the doors, and you want to sort of uh, ask them something about the Bible, they'll say, well, look, why don't you just visit JW.org? All the answers are on there. They don't want to engage with you. Something else that they're becoming extremely zealous about as well is learning other languages. So they have their own app, uh, JW Language. And there you can see that they learn how to uh, greet and introduce and uh, what they say after greeting and presenting a topic and books of the Bible, all these in different languages. You can download that yourself and teach yourself a language if you want, but just don't teach their gospel, of course. Um, but they're extremely zealous. I was in Cambridge last year, and uh, I went to pick my son up from Cambridge. I came out of the um, train station, and there were the JWs uh, with their carts. So I went over to have a talk with them. Lots of stuff in Chinese there, lots of Chinese visitors around. And I was speaking to this young man, trying to share the gospel with him. And uh, a group of Chinese people came up, started looking at the literature. And he excused himself from the discussion with me. And then he began to speak to them in their language. I was blown away. And he just said, you know, and then he, and then he just reverted back to me. He could speak both Chinese and Yorkshire. That was amazing. And so it just showed me again that these guys are zealous. We, we have a Chinese congregation meeting our church every Saturday afternoon, every Sunday afternoon, sorry. And um, I remember a couple of years ago, um, somebody came to have a word with me and said, can you chat to this lady? The JWs have been pestering her. And uh, when she came to the country, she couldn't speak any English. The JWs knocked on the door. They're trying to communicate with her. Got nowhere. Turned up again six months later, and they were fluent in, in Mandarin Chinese to communicate their message to her. The same two had gone away and learned it deliberately so they could talk to people. This is challenging stuff for us, isn't it? Really incredibly challenging stuff. And lots of cults are into this. The Mormons are doing it as well. They're learning different languages in order to share the gospel with various people. Here's a chart just showing how the Jehovah's Witnesses see things. So in their head, Jehovah God is the only true God and the only one who should be worshipped. Under him is Jesus Christ. We're going to come back to Jesus in a moment tell you more about what uh, they believe about him, but they see him as what they call the head of the Christian congregation. Underneath Jesus, you have the governing body. We'll come back to that in a moment as well. And then you have elders in congregations... And then you have ministerial servants, um, like deacons who serve in the church. In between the governing body and the elders are people like circuit overseers who travel around and, and visit different congregations. But that's basically, it's all sort of set now. So Jehovah God, um, Jesus up there, Jesus might as well not be there in, in reality. Jehovah God speaks to the governing body and the governing body then gives out the information to the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And there at the bottom again, around 15 to 20 congregations make up a circuit, and a circuit will be periodically visited by a circuit overseer. So, Jehovah's Witnesses are incredibly busy with all this stuff, and believing all this stuff, and they don't have time to research things, um, they don't really want to listen to anybody else, they believe they have the truth. 
And I want to tell you why that is the case. Three core beliefs of Jehovah's Witnesses. Here's the first one. That there is a group called the governing body. Now, that's, that's the Watchtower headquarters. Or it was until in recent years they've moved to somewhere else. But that was an iconic thing in New York. They moved just outside New York now to a place called Warwick. And uh, that's their new headquarters there. They're a wealthy organization. They have lots of money. They've got millions and millions and millions of dollars for that property in New York. And there, in those headquarters, amongst all the staff, resides what they call the governing body. And these guys, actually eight of them now, not seven in the picture there, these eight guys, they believe, have been appointed by Jehovah to speak on his behalf. And in the mind of a Jehovah's Witness, God only speaks through these people, no one else. So they don't want to listen to us. What have we got to say to them? We can't understand the Bible. Uh, We need someone to help us understand the Bible. That's the governing body. That's their job. And so these guys, these eight guys, are the most important people to Jehovah's Witnesses. But you ask the Jehovah's Witnesses to give you their names. They may know one or two, perhaps three. Be interesting thing. Say that to them. You don't have to know the names. Or if you want to know the names, I can give you the names. But all you need to do is just say, so this governing body, you believe they're appointed by Jehovah and they're really important. Yeah, well, what's their names? And see how many they can name. It's interesting, these faceless people are leading this organization. But they're bought into this idea of the Jehovah's Witnesses. In Matthew 24, verses 45 to 47, in their Bible, which is called the New World Translation, It says this, Who really is the faithful and discreet slave whom his master appointed over his domestics to give them their food at the proper time? Happy is that slave if his master on coming finds him doing so. Truly I say to you, he will appoint him over all his belongings. So in the mind of a Jehovah's Witness, this governing body is that faithful and discreet slave that's mentioned in the Bible. They are the faithful and discreet slave class. Now, what's happened throughout Jehovah's Witness history is there's always been maybe one leader, a president like Charles Taylor Russell, who founded the Witnesses. He was that faithful and discreet slave, and then it passed on to individuals. And then in the 1990s, it passed on to this collective group. But they believe they're the faithful and discreet slave. So they're the ones that, are, uh, uh, that God's appointed over the domestics, giving them their food or their teaching at the proper time. So that's in their heads. That's the first stumbling block that we have with Jehovah's Witnesses. So if we're not listening to them, we're not Christians. If we're not listening to them, we can't understand the Bible. If we're not listening to them, we've got nothing to offer them. Because they're sold on this idea that the governing body alone speak for God. Just look at the power that the governing body wields, the faithful and discreet slave. This is from uh, Watchtower 1973, still believed today. Uh, Yes, we should be deeply appreciative of all the fine spiritual food that the faithful and discreet slave class has been providing through the Watchtower now for 94 years. So that takes you back to 1879 when Charles Russell began the Watchtower magazine. So this faithful and discreet slave, they give us spiritual food. We should be deeply appreciative of everything these guys do for us. Really? We need to obey the faithful and discreet slave to have Jehovah's approval. So what does that tell you? You know, if you're not obeying these guys, then you're disobeying Jehovah. 
If you're not obeying these guys, then you have no relationship to Jehovah and cannot be saved. So this is how cults operate, isn't it? That they have an individual or a group of people who they believe speak for God. And they give their lives to this cause and to these people. If you watch the film Apostasy, you'll see the devastation that causes in that one family. Since Jehovah God and Jesus Christ completely trust the faithful and discreet slave, where's the Bible verse for that, by the way, should we not do the same? So right from the the beginning, as you're learning about Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah has appointed these guys, this governing body, to speak for him. They'll say in Acts 15, you know, Paul and, and others went to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem at that time was the governing body. That's what they said. They'll use that term. And so like now, we need to refer to the governing body and ask them what we should do. So that's what they believe. So that's a problem we have right from the off. And these guys on the governing body decide um, what the Jehovah's Witnesses believe, decide what's on JW.org. And so they push JW.org like nobody's business. And so you can see there, look at those shoes. How beautiful are the feet of those who declare good news of good things? JW.org. Seriously? So it's all about, for a Jehovah's Witness, it's all about the organisation. It's all about JW.org, the Watchtower Society. They're the only ones speaking truth in the world today. So that's something really important for us to know because we realise then why that brick wall comes up when we speak to them. Because they're captive to a concept. They're captive to the idea that God only speaks through these guys, not through you and me. So we need to think about that in a, in a moment or two. The second thing I think is really important, core belief of Jehovah's Witnesses, is what they believe about Jesus. This is from JW.org, who is Jesus Christ. Unlike any other human, Jesus lived in heaven as a spirit person. What's a spirit person? Uh, before he was born on earth. John 8.23 he was God's first creation and he helped in the creation of all other things. He's the only one created directly by Jehovah and he's therefore appropriately, appropriately called God's only begotten son, John 1.14. Jesus served as God's spokesman, so he's also called the word. Read Proverbs 8 and Colossians 1. And you see what you find there is Bible verses to support what they say. And if you read those Bible verses, as someone who doesn't know the Bible, they seem very clearly to support what they're saying. And that's what happened to me. And that's what happens to anybody who studies with the witnesses. Because if you don't know any better, you know frame of reference, you look at those verses and it's what it seems to be saying to me. And so you buy into that idea that Jesus lived in heaven as a spirit person before being born on the earth. That Jehovah created him as the first of his ways. So they speak about Jesus, but Jesus really isn't that important to them. If you get in a discussion with um, Jehovah's Witnesses about Jesus, they will definitely take you sooner or later to Colossians 1.15. And in Colossians 1.15, in their Bible, and they often don't quote the whole verse, the whole verse says, He is the image of the invisible God. That's quite important, I think. The firstborn of all creation. But they'll just say, look, Colossians 1.15, the firstborn of all creation. And they've been told that that actually means that Jesus was the first one that God created. Now that's not what it says. But if you don't have a, a reference again to, to, to look at, then it seems to say that. What is, what is he talking about here, Paul, when he says this? 
that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Well, he's not talking about firstborn as in the first one to be born. The Bible does talk about those who are first to be born in a family. But it also uses the word firstborn in a different way. And this is what Paul's speaking about here. So we look at verses like this, and I could show you others. In Psalm 89, 27, speaking about David, King David, this is what God says of David. Also, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now, David wasn't the first to be born of his father, Jesse. He was the youngest. It's not about first to be born, literally. He's talking about first in rank, and he explains it there. God's saying, I will make him my firstborn. He's going to be the highest of the kings over the earth. Now, when we put, implant the idea back to Colossians 1.15, we see clearly that Paul's talking about Jesus is the preeminent one, the highest one over all creation. That's what he's talking about. If Paul wanted to say first created, he could have used a completely different Greek word. But the Greek word he uses means like preeminent or first in rank. We get that idea here as well. This is from um, their Bible. This is from their um, Kingdom Interlinear Translation, which is all online now, which is very helpful. This is Colossians 1, uh, 15 through to the beginning of 19. I just want to point out a few things on there. If you see where they've got things in brackets, can you see that? Verse 15 and verse 16, because in him it was created the all things. And then it's got the things again underneath their things in brackets, which is fair enough. That's not a problem. But what they do is, the Jehovah's Witnesses, when they then bring out their New World Translation and they put it in there, it says this. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him all other things were created in the heavens and on the earth, things visible, things invisible, whether they are thrones or lordships or governments or authorities, all other things are being created through him and for him, and he is before all other things. You see they keep adding the word other in there? Because that fits their theology. It changes it completely. And what you can do with the Jehovah's Witnesses is you can say, well look, let me read what Colossians 1, or you read what Colossians 1, 15 to 19 says. Um, there, and read it, and then if you say, can you look at it in the Greek, in your Kingdom Interlinear Translation, you can show them the word other's not there. So you say, why is, why is it not there? Why have you added another word into the text that's not there? And it's to change the meaning of it. You see, because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Why? What does Paul say? He's the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, because by means of him, all things were created. Jesus is the preeminent one. He's the highest because he created all things. That's what Paul's saying. And so we know what firstborn of all creation means because of the context. But they've added the word other in there. And they'll try and get away with that. And they'll say, well, look, actually it makes it clearer. Well, no, it doesn't make it clearer, does it? It makes it more obscure. I often use stupid things with them. I may have put this in the book. I don't know. I can't remember. I've slept since I wrote it. But I have to say things like, you know, it makes a massive difference. Imagine I began a new job this week. And it said in my contract... Tony, you shall work every day this week for £1,000. And when I get home, I add the word other in. Tony, you work every other day this week for £1,000. Does it make a difference? Of course it makes a difference. I've changed its meaning completely. And that's what they've done here because what they do in their own Bible, the New World Translation, is they try and remove 
as much as they can of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't want their people to find that Jesus actually is God. And so they hide it and remove it. And then they're told, I'm telling you far more than I want to tell you tonight about this, I need to move on. Then they're told that their Bible is the most accurate translation available today. Well, who translated this amazing Bible that's the most accurate in the world today? Oh, we don't know. We don't know. We're not told because no glory wants to go to them. And I'm like, if I'd have translated this Bible, I wouldn't have telling you to be my name either. Because you've changed it completely. So they don't know who translated it. But it's the most accurate one in the world. And why do they believe it? Because the governing body promote it. And so there you go with these guys. So that's the Jesus. Let's, oh yeah, I did some fancy stuff there. I forgot about that. Let's just have a quick look at the Watchtower Jesus then. So first of all, the Watchtower Jesus didn't exist. He's not eternally God. He's not eternal. He didn't exist. Then he was created as a spirit person, whatever that is. Now they believe, which they've gone very quiet on in these days for some reason, that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. And that's who existed with Jehovah in the beginning. But he was a spirit person. So he didn't exist. Then he was a spirit person. And then at at his birth to Mary... He became the man Jesus. And this spirit person, Michael the Archangel, just vanished off the scene. Just gone. Jehovah got rid of him. So then he's a man. And then he only became Christ or the Messiah at his baptism, not before. Even though uh, the Gospels tell us that born in the city of David today is Christ the Lord, his Messiah at birth. But no, for these guys, just at his baptism... Then, when he died, not on a cross for Jehovah's Witnesses, it's an upright pole, they call a torture stake. Then, he became non-existent for three days and three nights. See, because Jesus was just a man. And when, when you die, they don't believe we have a soul. When we die, we're just non-existent. So Jesus was non-existent for three days and three nights. And then Jehovah, they'll say resurrected, but it's literally recreated, because he didn't exist. Recreated from his memory, Jesus, or was he Jesus, or was he the spirit person called the Archangel Michael, who they now believe is in heaven with Jehovah again? So here's, here's a, a puzzled face for you, that you've all got at the moment. And then here's a, a verse that doesn't seem to make sense in light of all that I've just told you. That Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is this the biblical Jesus? It's not the biblical Jesus, is it? He didn't exist, then he was a spirit person, then he was just a man, then he became the Christ, then he was non-existent, and now he's the Archangel Michael again. Is that the biblical testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ? But they believe this, not because the Bible teaches it, but because the governing body have told them it's true. You see the difference? They'll say, we only follow what the Bible teaches. They'll have supporting verses for some of this stuff, not all of it, but they don't need to have, because ultimately they are beholden to the governing body and that's, uh, that's the reality. So three core beliefs, governing body, Jesus. Let's just have a quick think as well about salvation to a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witnesses have no assurance whatsoever. So if you tell them you're saved, they're like, they don't believe you. They think you're arrogant, presumptuous. How could you possibly know you're saved? You see, because if you've got to work for your salvation, if you've got to work to please Jehovah, how could you ever know you've done enough? You, you don't know so for us to say, well, look, I'm saved. I, I know I'm going to heaven. They were like, no, you're not. But let's just think about what they believe about heaven and paradise earth. They have 
a twofold salvation. They have a small group, a number of 144,000, they believe, will be in heaven, and everyone else will be on paradise earth. And so for 99.9% of the witnesses you will talk to, they will believe they're going to be on paradise earth. 144,000. They link it to scriptures as well that have got nothing to do with it. So like Jesus is speaking to his disciples and, and calls them little flock. Uh, there in Luke 12, it's a, uh, a term of endearment, perhaps. But no, they say, no, that's the 144,000, the little flock. There's no reason to connect those two things together. When Jesus in John 10 talks about other sheep I have that must come into this fold, talking about the Gentiles that will begin to come in, well, no, in their minds, that's the other sheep is the great crowd of, uh, who are going to live on the paradise earth. Now, the, the 144,000 thing is just crazy because what happens is every year they have a memorial meal. Did anybody get an invite to a memorial meal this year? They normally put an invite through your door or something or give you an invite. Uh, you, you're free to go. And that's the only time throughout the year they'll have what we would know as communion, the Lord's Supper. But what happens is the bread and the wine gets passed out and you're only allowed to partake if you believe yourself to be one of the 144,000. So nobody takes it. So it goes all the way around and then comes back again. Nobody's touched it. Now I've seen a few people take it. I I was at a, a memorial meal a couple of years ago and I saw someone take it. I had a chat with the elder afterwards. I said, are you going to have a chat with this lady? And he said, I don't know who she is. She might be from another kingdom hall. And I said, well, you know, how many is, it should be full by now, surely. You know, they have an annual book, a yearbook, and it records how many people have partaken of the memorial meal every year. And in recent years, it's, it's gone up to like 15, 16,000. Well, you know, when it was, when it was 12,000 or less, you only need 12 years of 12,000 to get 144,000. So I said to him, come on, surely it's full by now. Surely, you know, you can't still believe this. And he said, no lie, this is what he said to me. He said, well, Tony, there are some people who've had the heavenly calling, but they've become apostate. They've gone away. So there are now vacancies in heaven. And we don't know how many. Every time I go to Memorial Meal, my wife says, why don't you partake? You're going to heaven. (laughs) Oh, I just don't want to cause trouble. You know, I'm not there to cause trouble. But isn't it sad you know, they, they deny Christ every time they let it pass them and what he's done for them. Because they've been told it's for this special class of 144,000 and it's not for them. They believe only 144,000 needs to be born again. So most witnesses you meet will don't believe they need to be born again. They believe Jesus is a mediator only for the 144,000, so not for them. And you've got this uh, two-tier salvation and most of them believe they're going to paradise earth. Let's just um, quickly get into a few things then. Issues when talking to Jehovah's Witnesses. So I want us to avoid, do you like what I've done there? Catastrophes. It took me about three minutes to think of that. Avoiding catastrophes. Okay, so some things it's not good to do when talking to people on the cats. Because I know that over the next sort of week or so, you're going to be out and about, you're going to see the JWs on the cart. And normally you would avoid them, but you're going to think, no, Tony said I've got to go and talk to them. So you're going to, aren't you? Thank you. Yeah. The two people that said yes. Um, okay, things to be aware of. You've got your Bible with you. You found a great verse to share with these Jehovah's Witnesses. You think, wait till I see that next JW on my doorstep on the car. 
smack them between the eyes with this Bible verse. And you say, right, get your Bible out, read this verse. And they read that verse and it's completely changed. It doesn't say what your Bible says. You know your deity of Christ proof texts. You know that, and then and they'll find it's changed in their Bible. So be aware of that. You can check easily online, jw.org. Um, look at their Bible if you want to sort of check how they've translated it, because they'll always believe their Bible rather than your Bible. So just be careful with those things. Some of the things I'm going to share with you about talking to them about in a little while. All the verses are. Uh, a watchtower proof. Um, be careful as well about challenging the watchtower. If you go straight in, and the first thing you say is, we had this guy at our church the other night, this XJW called Tony from Bradford. Do you know Bradford? It's that place where those executioners come from. And you say, you know, and he said, you guys are a cult. And you know, the what, you're just following the watchtower. That's closed down immediately. They're gone. You know, they're not going to listen to you. We, we need to be careful how we talk to them and how we share with them. I always say to people, you know, these groups are cults, but you don't have to tell them they're cults um, because that winds them up. So I like to call them new religious movements because they don't really know what that means. So they're not offended by it. Let's just say, you guys, you're a new religious movement, aren't you? And they'll be like, yeah, I suppose we are. And in your head, you're thinking, cult. You're a cult. Okay, um, don't call them a cult. There you go, I said that. Uh, that tends to wind them up. Be careful with Christian terminology as well, because what we mean by a word, they might not mean the same by a different understanding. So you've got to be careful with that. It's particularly tricky with Mormons more than JWs, this stuff, because Mormons tend to agree with everything you say, because you use all the same words, but they mean something completely different by it. But just be careful with that with JWs as well. Some of the words we use, they might say, yeah, I believe that, but they might actually mean something different by it. And be careful of this as well. Um, they will very quickly change the discussion if you're getting somewhere with them. You know, I'm often talking to JWs and you, know, you feel like you're getting somewhere, you're having a good discussion and they'll just jump in with, well, I bet you celebrate Christmas though, don't you? What's that going to do with anything? You've just been talking about, you know, Jesus being God in John's Gospel. You know, or, you know, you celebrate birthdays or you go to war. I bet you voted last week, didn't you? We don't vote. And, and all this kind of stuff. I bet you have paid clergy. Down these sort of rabbit holes will try and take you and, and, and don't go for that. Stay on target. Stay on target. Just say, well, I'm happy to talk to you about those things in a moment, but let's just talk about this for a minute. And stay on target. So what are some of the things you can say to Jehovah's Witnesses? Well, I want us to just consider this first of all, just before I share four things that we can say. In order to share with anybody... We need to have a love for lost people. We need to love these people. And we need to realise that without Christ, they're going to hell. That's a big motivator for us, isn't it? You know, when you think, well, I don't want to share the gospel with anybody, it scares me or anything. If you, if you think, well, do I actually believe what the Bible says? That these guys are lost without Christ. They're going to hell. We need to have a love for them. We don't want to see them lost. We don't want to see them going to hell. So a love for lost people. We need to pray for lost people as well. Prayer. This is spiritual warfare. It really, really is. Any engagement in evangelism is spiritual warfare anyway. The enemy doesn't want you to get anywhere with these guys. He doesn't want their eyes opening up or their, their hearts warming to what you're saying. So we need to pray. And if you meet in JWs, if you meet them, try and get their names. 
so you can pray for them afterwards and have others pray for them. If you meet them more than once, um, get others to pray for you as you're going to meet them the second time. Get prayer. It's really important in, in this. And, um, and then we need to realize uh, we need to have a gospel for lost people. We need to be able to share something of our faith with people, don't we? You know, we'll always uh, be ready to give a defense for the hope that we have within us. We, ne- we need to have the gospel to hand. How can we share that? And we do it in what we call a winsome way. So meaning attractive or appealing in a fresh, innocent way. A winsome smile, appealing, engaging, charming, winning, attractive. So we can go in hard line with these guys. We can say you're a cult, you're lost, you're going to hell. You can get a big debate with them, argument, lose your rag with them. There's nothing. There's nothing. But if you just go in innocently with a loving spirit towards them and just share something of truth with them, that will make an impact upon them. They already believe that we as the church are of the devil. The last place a Jehovah's Witness will go is the church building. They believe that when Armageddon comes, the final war, the first firebombs, fireballs from heaven are going to hit churches. They're, they're so anti-church. They think we're corrupt, we're pagan, we, the devil leads us, all this kind of stuff. So if we can engage them with a smile, with, with, with a bit of friendliness, openness, um, it'll go a long way to um, helping us share the gospel with them. Now I'm going to share four things very quickly because I know I'm going to run out of time and then just a little bit of time for Q&A. But I want you to just listen to these four things that I'm going to go through fairly quickly. And I want you to just choose one tonight and take it away with you. I think that's the one I'm going to use when I meet those Jehovah's Witnesses next time. That's the one I will use. And, and just, just have that in mind and be prepared and ready for the next JW that comes along. I always say it's good to share your testimony with Jehovah's Witnesses. And it is because they need to hear what we have. They're searching for what we have. And so you can share your testimony with them. You can say, if they knock on your door, you can say, look, happy for you to share two minutes, just what you want to share. Then if you'll just give me uh, two minutes as well and share your testimony, talk about sin forgiven, talk about assurance, you know, all these things that they don't have, you can do that. But another thing you can do as well is share with them an answer to prayer. So what you do is you let them share their message and they say, look, can I just share something with you as well? I just want to share with you this thing that happened. You know, I prayed to God and then he answered my prayer this way. And tell them the story. Hopefully you've all got one of those at least to answer to prayer. And what you're saying to them is, this God that you think I've not got a relationship with, this God that you don't think I know, actually answered my prayer. And it really challenges them. And you'll see when you finish sharing, they sort of look a little bit shocked. Because that's not their experience. So you can say, you know, my God answers prayer, but does yours. Tell me a time when God's answered your prayer. You'll get very little response. And it challenges them. Because you see, for Jehovah's Witnesses, they have a knowledge of God, but they don't know him. And, and that was my experience in the Witnesses. I, I knew about him. I could maybe recite some verses of scripture I've been taught, but I didn't know him. They don't know him. They don't have a God that answers prayer like our God. They don't have that kind of relationship. So that's a little challenge. Let them hear that God has answered your prayer. How can he answer your prayer? You're not one of us. Well, tell me about a time God answered your prayer. They don't have a testimony. They don't have an answer to prayer. And again, don't, you don't have to push these things. I often say, just leave that thought with them. 
Uh, that's all you need to do, leave that thought with them. And, uh, you know, wish them well, whatever. And then you pray that God will use what you've said to challenge them. This is one of my, uh, my favourite ones to do. And uh, it's really good if you're into a drama and acting. Anybody get into drama? Yeah, there you go. You can do this on the street with the JWs that can't. So you walk up to the cart. The Jehovah's Witnesses are there. You say, can I, can I ask you a question? They love answering questions. That's how they're programmed. Um, they might be a bit suspicious, but usually they say yes. So it's a bit of a hypothetical question. And here it is. So I just come out of that shop over there. And if you can buy one of those fake knives that looks like it's stuck in your back, it's even better. And uh, you say, look, somebody just stabbed me in the back and I've got three minutes to live. And I, I've got a question for you guys. Because I've never thought about God or what happens when I die before. And my question to you is this. Here's my question. What must I do to be saved? Off you go. And silence. And then they're looking at each other, they're trying to figure it out. And you're like, two minutes left? You know, showing them the, the knife, two minutes? And they struggle like that because everything in their head says you've not got enough time to be saved. Because you need to buy a suit and come to the Kingdom Hall and knock on doors and you need all these things that they think you've got to do. You don't have enough time. And you'll see them. And three responses I normally get to that question. One is no response. And you can keep counting down. One minute, as they're not coming out with anything. The second response is, I've had some witnesses, a little bit brighter perhaps, remember that there was a thief on the cross or the torture stake, doesn't matter what they call it, next to Jesus. And he turned to Jesus and said what? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So I said, what did he have to do to be saved? He just had to turn to Jesus. If they go there, that's good, because you can really press on your point. That's all we need to do, is turn to Christ. You know, that I've got enough time then, haven't I? A third place they, they sometimes go, is their belief is this, that if you die before Armageddon, before Jehovah comes to judge the world, which is going to happen really soon, and it's been happening really soon, for about like 140 years now, um, you will be resurrected back to life on paradise earth and given a second chance. So if they say that, then I usually act a little bit startled and say, so are you telling the people of Leicester today that really, so long as they die before Armageddon, um, they'll, they'll be saved anyway, they'll get a second chance. Is that, is that your message? Are you telling people today they can live and do whatever they want to do so long as they die before Armageddon and they'll get a, get a chance? And if they're honest, they'll say that's what they're teaching. And I'll say, well, the worst thing you can do for anybody today is to tell them to be one of you. Because I've got more chance of getting through to paradise on earth than you have. Because you're, if, if Armageddon comes and you're not a faithful witness, and you've not put in all the hours and all that kind of stuff, you're going to be just done away with. But as long as I die before Armageddon, I'll get in. So what do I need you for? And get them to think through what they believe. And that's another response. But you're, honestly, the usual response is they don't really know how to respond. And so, like, you actors, by this time, are on your knees with counting down 10, 9, 8, falling on the ground. And they tell you nothing. And then what you say to them is this. I've asked you a question and you didn't give me an answer. Or you didn't give me a satisfactory answer. What is the biblical answer to my question, because you've got a cart here which says, what does the Bible really teach? So what does the Bible say about my question? 
And again, blank. And then have them go to their Bible and to read Acts 16. And from Acts 16, you can, you can start it back a little bit further than that if you want. But get them to read from Acts 16. And when they get to verse 30, and they say this, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I stopped them there and said, that was my question to you. That's, that was my question to you, wasn't it? And they'll acknowledge it was. I said, what's the answer that they're given? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. You see, that's the answer, isn't it? That's the answer to my dilemma when I've got three minutes, two minutes, one minute, ten seconds to live. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and I'll be saved. And they don't know that. And what you're doing there is you've given them a biblical answer to the question. So that's a good little routine you can go through. That messes with their head, which is pretty good. Um, Also, just something else as well about the deity of Christ. Um, Very quickly, um, in their Bible, which is the one at the top there, John 1.1 in the New World Mistranslation, I mean New World Translation, it says, in the beginning the word was, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. Notice, a God, in every Bible we would read, it would say the word was God. So here's some questions to ask them if you take them to John 1.1. If Jesus is only a God, is he a true God or is he a false God? That's a really, really hard question for JWs. Because whatever their answer is, you're going to be shocked, aren't you? Well, three of you are. You know, the actors amongst you. Because if they say Jesus is a true God, which is what they tend to do if they, if they, if they don't think about it, really, then you act really shocked. What, are you believe in two true gods? Does the Bible say there are two true gods? And they very quickly backtrack. There's only one true God. If they say Jesus is a false God, you're act shocked again. What, you believe Jesus is a false God? And they backtrack again. They, they think, well, I can't say he's a false God either. So what kind of God is he? Well, he's a kind of God. He's a sort of God. Jehovah's almighty God, Jesus is mighty God. He's just a kind of God, but we shouldn't worship him, because we only worship Jehovah, but he's just a kind of God. Where in the Bible does it say there's a kind of God? There's one true God, all other gods are false. That's the biblical revelation. So don't let them get away with it. Again, we can make a, a thing about this uh, a little bit later. Big G, little g. For the Jehovah's Witness in their mind, if they see God with a big G in their Bible, that's Jehovah. Little g, not Jehovah. Could be Jesus, could be Satan, could be whoever. But it's not Jehovah. Just bear that in mind for a minute. Big G is um, God himself is Jehovah. Um, and John 5 is a good place to take them as well. If you want to go through John's Gospel with them, John 5, you can read the the context there, but basically Jesus has healed someone on the Sabbath, the Pharisees aren't happy about it, and then Jesus talks about how he and his father work together. You know, he does what he sees the father doing. The, the, The father raises the dead, so Jesus raises the dead. He's very clearly linking himself with the father. And then he talks about, you need to honor me as you honor the father that sent me. So a question for Jehovah's Witnesses is this, do you honor Jesus as you honor the father? Jehovah. Do you honour them the same? Maybe ask that question first. And if they say no, get them to read that verse in John 5. But very clearly, John 5 talks about Jesus being deity. John 8, 58, uh, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Again, note in their Bible it says, before Abraham was, I have been. It's ridiculous translation. Uh, why, why have they changed it? Because when Jesus says, I am, there, the Jews pick up stones to stone him because he's claiming to be God linking himself with Exodus 3.14 where Jehovah um, we can use Jehovah with these guys Jehovah says to Moses tell them I am 
I am who I am sent me to you. And the Jews, hearing what Jesus said, realized that, picked up stones to stone him. John 10.30, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. These are all little verses in John's Gospel. And then this is a good place to go, John 20, 28. It's not being changed in their Bible. And so, you know, do you believe Jesus is God? No, we don't. Okay, can you read John 20, 28 for me from your Bible? Jesus appears to Thomas and he says to uh, Jesus, when he appears, Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God, big G, even in their Bible. So you can see, you can say to them, say, so in your Bible, when it says God with a big G, is that Jehovah? They'll say yes. You sure that's right? That's what, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Where it's big G, that's Jehovah. And then take them there, and it's got Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. So if Thomas believes Jesus was his Lord and his God, why don't you? So just some quick things there on the deity of Christ. I'm happy to send all this stuff to you if you want copies of it, so don't worry if you're not written everything down. Uh, maybe a final thing. Ask the question, are you born again to Jehovah's Witnesses? Are you born again? They believe it's only for the 144,000, so they'll believe they don't need to be. But then have them read in their Bible, John 3.3. 3. In response, Jesus said to him, Most truly I say to you, unless 144,000 is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It doesn't say that, does it? Unless anyone is born again. I'm anyone. You're anyone. You can't see the kingdom of God. You're out preaching this kingdom of God, Jehovah's Witnesses. But according to Jesus, if you're not born again, you're not going to see it. So you're born again, or aren't you born again? Just some of the verses you can take them to as well. In, in Romans 8, 9 to 11. There again, however, you're in harmony, not with the flesh, but with the spirit. If God's spirit truly dwells in you, but if anyone does not have Christ's spirit, this person does not belong to him. Now notice what it says then. But if Christ is in union with you, they don't believe that Christ can indwell anybody. The Holy Spirit can indwell anybody. So they often translate in union with. So that's working alongside rather than being inside. But what does it say to begin with? Uh, if God's Spirit truly dwells in you, this is in their translation. But if anyone does not have Christ's Spirit, this person does not belong to him. And then again, uh, if now the Spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So the question is, does Jesus dwell in you? Does the Holy Spirit dwell in you? And challenge them about that. And a final verse here again. You could say, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? They'll say yes. And then have them read 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born from God. Born again. So have you been born again? Well, no, I haven't. Well, you don't believe Jesus is the Christ then. So all these things are challenging to Jehovah's Witnesses. Let me just show you a final thing very quickly. Very, very quickly. Promise. Speaking to Jehovah's Witnesses, a bit like a boxing match. So what I've discovered as well is that it's good to talk to Jehovah's Witnesses in a certain way. You could go straight in with a knockout punch. You could think, I've got a great scripture for them, I've got something to share with them, I'm just going to punch them with it. It doesn't work. So what you have to do is, like a, a skilled or smart boxer, you jab first. You soften them up. So you're jabbing, 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 and then you're going to try and knock them out. And it's better to do it that way around. I don't mean literally, by the way. Knock them out. So you could, this is a jab, isn't it? This is a little jab, gentle jab. Do you believe the Bible to be God's word? They'll say yes. 
Do you think we should believe all that God's word teaches? It's another little jab. They'll say yes. You're going with another jab. Do you believe that the disciples of Jesus believed he was God? Little jab. They'll say no. You say, can you please turn to and read John 20, 28, which I've just explained to you. Thomas said, my Lord and my God in their Bible. And then you go with a knockout punch, which is this. Thomas believed Jesus was God. Why don't you? So you see what you've done there. Rather than just going straight in with the John 20, 28, you've softened them up a little bit. You've jabbed, jabbed, jabbed. Get them to read the scripture. Knock them out. Because now they're in a place where they're disagreeing with the word of God. Not with me, but with the word of God. Let me just show you another one of those very quickly. I've got a number of these I can send you if you're interested. Uh, Do you believe the Bible to be God's word? Yes. Uh, Where will all the Old Testament believers be in the future? Uh, They believe they're going to be on the earth. So you believe that Abraham, Isaac and Jacob will live on the earth and not be in heaven? Is that what the Bible teaches? They'll say yes. Please turn to and read Matthew 8:11, which talks about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob uh, uh, sort of uh, reclining in heaven, uh, tables in heaven. So then the question comes in again, the knockout punch. The Bible teaches that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be in heaven. Why do you disagree with the Bible? So again, rather than going straight in with a punch, you just soften them up, getting them to say yes, no to things, and then you hit them with Scripture, because it's the Scripture ultimately that will change the hearts. I know I've, I'm not going to go through that one, I haven't got time. I know I've said a lot tonight and rushed through quite a lot of things. I'll happily send you some notes from that if you want. Um, if you've got any questions that you want to ask about anything I've said or anything I haven't covered particularly, I realised I've rushed through a lot of stuff. I've covered it all so well. There's a gentleman here. Oh, sorry. One question about the situation is, are the Jehovah's Witnesses split like the Christian church is split in so many ways? No, not really. You will have individuals, maybe in little tiny groups, splinter groups, who maybe have lost faith in, say, the governing body, but still believe all that it teaches. So I do know some people like that, but generally speaking, they're very much one. Um, so the good news about that as well is they see that as a, as a strength. Because they'll say to us, well, look, Tony, I knocked on a Christian's door yesterday and I asked them what they think about same-sex marriage and they told me it was okay and God thinks it's all right. And then I come to your house today and you're saying you're a Christian and asked you the same question. You said it's completely wrong. But we all believe the same. You won't find us disagreeing and they're right. But that's like cult mentality rather than you know just unity in what the Bible actually teaches. And so because you know that as well, once you know what a Jehovah's Witness's response is going to be and which verses they're going to take you to, they never catch you out. The Mormons take you all over the place. But the JWs, they're still on target. So like when I said, if you talk to a Jehovah's Witness about the deity of Christ, they will definitely take you to Colossians 1. 15, definitely. Every witness will do that. So once you know that, we're with them. But they're very much seeing themselves as united. Yeah, on most things. Indeed, everything. Yeah. Anything else? Are you able to give a, just a brief um, description of, sorry, can you give a, a brief account of how it originated? Of how it began? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the founder, Charles Tears Russell, um, he was brought up in, in a Christian household, a congregational church. When he got into his teens, he decided that he didn't like the idea of hellfire. 
and uh, began to sort of search into all kinds of uh, Eastern religions, Oriental religions, stuff like that. He came, he, he sort of lost his way in faith and everything, but he came across a guy who was uh, from a group called the Second Adventists, who was often speaking about and, and preaching and setting dates for when Christ would return. And so he got in, involved with a guy called Nelson Barber, and this guy Nelson Barber sort of led him back into the Bible, and he too became a Bible student looking for the return of Christ. He then parted company with, with Barber over a few things and began sort of his own sort of mission, as it were, called himself the International Bible Student Association, and then started publishing in 1879 the Watchtower magazine to, to promulgate his, his ideas, and it grew from that. So initially it was Bible students, but it grew and it grew. Um, but it was really the, the, maybe the second president, Judge Rutherford, in 1919, who, who took it on to be what it is today. Many of the things witnesses believe today and hold true today, Russell would have denied himself, I think. So a lot of stuff came through the second president. So they, they claim Russell as their founder, but they almost sort of distance themselves a little bit from him as well. So that's how it began. Yeah. I keep looking at you. I forget there's someone here with a microphone. Um, the governing body, um, are they elected till they die? And when one dies, how is the next one chosen? Yeah, so that's pretty much how it goes, yeah. So within the headquarters... They'll have people in other positions within within the organisation, and they just elect from within, really. It's not a, a, a buddies club. They'll just choose who they want to to come on board. They'll claim that they prayed about it and that God led them to that person, but it's often, yeah, one of the mates or something like that that gets involved. Yeah. Do the elders at the, each individual um, kingdom hall, do they read Bible studies yeah. and pray from the actual Watchtower Bible, not just Watchtower publication? It's always with Watchtower publications. So they wouldn't just sit there with the Bible doing house groups, um, discuss it and what we think about it. Nobody else is able to teach they, 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 may, they may read the Bible, obviously it's the New World Translation as well, they may, they may read that without publications from time to time, but they're reading it already through Watchtower glasses. And so, you know, they, everything they see, they, they're told what that means anyway. And so that's how they do it, but it's usually always with Watchtower publications in mind. Can I just ask one more, are they, are they not allowed to go to um, the churches or other religious buildings? No. Because... My business partner is a Jehovah's Witness. She said she is allowed to if she wants to. She has not yet been to church. <laughs> you see, that's what but, they say. Yeah, so see, this is what I'm... Yeah. People, people in cults will say, I'm free to stay within the group, I'm free to leave. No, they're not. That's, that's rubbish. They might be physically free, but they're mentally bound. And so they, and like they'll say, I could go to church if I wanted. No, you wouldn't. You would never come into a church building. Because if you did, you could be disfellowshipped for it. The elders found out disfellowshipping is where they kick you out and everybody in the congregation then has, got, so has nothing to do with you anymore, family members or anybody else. And so they would never come into a church building. I, I've never known a Jehovah's Witness come into a church building. So if, if, if anybody says, I'm a JW and I went to this church building, they'll question how much of a JW they really are. But they're not supposed to. Sorry. What is their interpretation of Pentecost? And have they any concept of a Trinitarian God? They have no concept of a Trinitarian God. They believe the Trinity is pagan. They believe they sold the lie, which a lot of groups believe, and like Muslims do as well, is that 
The Trinity was a concept founded at the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. They believe it's totally not biblical, so no idea of that. In terms of Pentecost, they're very much cessationists. No gifts today or anything. They were not speaking tongues or signs and wonders. They don't expect any of those things. They will give lip service to the fact that God could heal if he wanted, but they don't experience that or see any of that. So um, they would see it died out with the, the apostles. As they, what they believe as well is that the church immediately with the death of the last apostle immediately became apostate. So it wasn't until the 19th century, until Charles Taze Russell came along, God's man, that, who restored the church, there was just an apostate church before then. There's no, no real truth in the, on the earth. People might have had glimpses of truth, so they might claim Luther was one of their own or something, or Wycliffe, but they didn't have the full truth. Only they have the full truth. 